part. If we can get Canute to sit down. Um, I, I acknowledge some of our support people, uh, Great Plate Catering and uh, University and Shaw TV, but I forgot to tell you that you can see this talk repeated, or others can, at daily at 6 and 11 a.m. and 4 and 9.30 p.m. Um, so you can advise your friends to see this if you want. Uh, there's an announcement I want to make before we call Travis up, and that is uh, a, drug, a, a film on drug dependency is being shown Monday night, uh, 6.30 to 9.30 at the uh, theater uh, in the downtown library. And uh, it, given our, our uh, present preoccupation with, uh, with drugs in this city, it's a very timely thing. So I'm, I'm going to read the, the little bit of bio here. Directed by Peabody award-winning filmmaker Elaine McMillan Sheldon, this Oscar-nominated documentary centers around Huntington, West Virginia, which has become the epicenter of America's modern opi opioid epidemic, with an overdose rate 10 times the national average. <clears throat> the flood of heroin now threatens the Appalachian city with a cycle of generational addiction, lawlessness, and poverty. But within this distressed landscape, we see a different side of the fight against drugs, one of hope, as three women work to change the town's narrative <clears throat> one person at a time. All are invited to this free community screening. So that's 6.30 to 9.30 Monday night in the theater down at the library, and um, I think it's a dilly. It's entitled Lethbridge March, no, sorry, that's, okay. I'm not sure what the title is. Anyway, you got the information. Hmm? So let's, uh, let's have uh, Travis Plated Hair come back. His last name, by the way, and somebody asked me, is Plated Hair. Travis Plated Hair. If you haven't seen it on, in print. So uh, come on back, Travis, and um, uh, we'll invite, the mic's over there. We'll invite you to go, name yourself, be brief, and, um, and we'll have some interesting exchange. All right, thank you. Hi, I'm Dave Shepard. Um, my question is, are there healing ceremonies in Blackfoot culture? Healing um, ceremonies? Healing ceremonies? He yeah. Yeah. All of our ceremonies are healing ceremonies. <laughs> yeah. I was just, uh, my interview with the, um, the girl here with the camera um, kind of talked about that a little bit. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about, is uh, healing. Uh, you just mentioned opioids. Obviously, that's a pretty hot topic here in the city, and not only here in Lethbridge, but all over the place. So we're actively trying to find ways to connect with those individuals who are, are struggling with that. And the ceremony is one way. The culture is one way. And we're actually going to be doing a TP. We're going to be setting up a TP. Hopefully they got permission. But uh, we're going to set up a TP downtown at the Galt. 20, it's going to be open. It's going to be there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're gonna, it's going to be manned uh, with some of the groups that I we had a meeting yesterday. We brought them together. They're the people that are already working with that population. And basically, we're going to have an open door. The teepee's there. We will have fried bread there. 
And um, it's, there's no program, there's no, you just come over, if you want to talk, we'll have elders. We just want to start that dialogue with them. We want them to know that we love them, we care about them, and we want to help them. Uh, so that's the start of it. So we're trying to find ways to do this. It's a, it's a difficult job. and I, um, <clears throat> I, um, I respect the people that are out there, frontline workers, and uh, it's a tough job. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Plated here, for this amazing information you uh, gave me. Mm. I've been, my name is Klaus Jericho. Uh, I've been here in Lesbridge since 1969, mm. and it took this long for me to learn what you told us today. Mm. Now, I don't know whether to blame you or me, but something has gone wrong over the years. Yeah. Uh, I think it's you. No, I just can't. <laughs> You're, you're probably right. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, I do have a question. Is what is as a white man's question? What is the, val the value of your culture for our consumer society? Yeah, good one, and that's a tough one too. Um, the value of our culture, I don't think you could relate it to consumerism. Because the whole purpose of the culture and our ways, the Blackfoot Ghana ways, I'm kind of being specific here, I can't speak for other indigenous groups across North America. I can only speak to the Ghana, which is I am a member of. I have authority by the elders to speak to certain things. Number one, our culture is not for sale. It's, in fact, it's frowned upon to even record it in any form. You can go to a pow and take pictures and sell beadwork, and you go to the pow at the, at the NMAX, it's commercialized. But the picture that I showed you, my Mecca, that I call it, the Akukatsen, that's different. That's spiritual. So it's, it, it's, it's still here because we didn't commercialize it. We kept it sacred. And it serves a specific purpose for our, our people. But what you benefit from from that culture, you get the community at large, you get people like myself, I guess, who can communicate with you, who can teach you and educate you. Because as I was saying earlier, at the end of the day, nobody's going anywhere. We're all here together, so we might as well learn how to get along. And the only way you're gonna learn that is by learning each other's history, our stories, and all of that. So your question is kind of tough because our culture is, there's segments of it that you could say is you could commercialize and give identity to this area. For example, our beadwork, our artists. We're actually putting together a website right now where we have a, a trading post online and we're gonna allow artists to, to, 
to show their products online, and, um, and they'll be for sale. And what that does, somebody from overseas or United States or wherever buys one of those items, it's going to be a description of that item. From Lethbridge, Alberta, from the blood tribe, so-and-so beat it, this item. So there's that, you know, recognition of this area to a broader community, yeah. Hi, Travis. I'm Lauren Fitch, and thank you for those insights into Blackfoot culture. Mm. I wonder if you could speak briefly. I wonder if you could speak briefly about the relationship of bison to the Blackfoot culture, and and what is being done on particularly the blood reserve for the restoration of bison populations. Mm. Good one. The bison is everything. E ni is what we call them. Um, <clears throat> The bison are very, their history is very closely related to ours. And again, um, in order to learn from each other, you got to talk about everything. Uh, my dad always said, ah, oh, tell them that way they'll learn. So there was a, there's a picture at the buffalo jump, and I always kind of didn't want to talk about it to our, to our visitors, because they're paying customers, and I didn't want to insult them. So I always kind of stayed away from that particular photo. The photo was a train with buffalo all around it and the hunter standing outside. You ever go to the buffalo jump, take a look at it, and they're shooting all the buffalo. That was government policy by the United States to eliminate the buffalo because the policy said if you eliminate the buffalo, you'll take care of the so-called Indian problem because the buffalo is the source of who we are. We are here because of the buffalo. All of our ceremonies, everything, I call it, we, we made the Walmart. The buffalo was Walmart because we got everything from that buffalo. We got food, we got clothing, we got shelter, we got tools, we got medicine, you name it came from the buffalo. So we're very, very closely related to the, to the buffalo. But they didn't succeed. There's still buffalo around. And I'm still around. So didn't work. Now, there is a, a treaty, the Buffalo Treaty, that Leroy, Leroy, you all heard of Uncle Leroy at the university. Him and another group started the Buffalo Treaty. And over the past four or five years, we've been going all over North America, other tribes signing on to the treaty. So we're bringing the buffalo back. Uh, we brought buffalo from um, Elk Island. Those are the last remaining herds of what we call the prairie bison. There's wood bison, then there's prairie bison. We just call them buffalo. They're down in the United States right now, in Montana. Some were brought to uh, San Francisco. They're back home now. So the Buffalo Treaty, all these tribes come together, they sign a treaty, and they're all working together to preserve the buffalo within and reintroduce them back to traditional territory. You probably heard in the news there was some buffalo released in Banff. They're, they're thriving over there. They're doing good. There's problems. 
we want to do that on our reserve too. We have one of the biggest uh, grass uh, areas in North America that's you know it's never been never been cultivated. Bikani has an even bigger patch, so we have people who have been raising. We got our own experts back home on how to raise buffalo and how to use them for economic growth. So, but it's the spiritual connection that's more important than selling the meat and whatever you have you, but reintroducing them back to the community because that's what's missing. We're still here. Our ceremonies are still here, but our buffalo aren't here. We're going to be even more powerful when they come back onto our landscape. So the buffalo is extremely important, and we're going to, in a few years, probably within the next five years, you drop down 509, you will see buffalo, guarantee. And I'm actually looking into a, a buddy of mine, Dan Fox, has been raising buffalo now for quite a few years. He's kind of our local expert. He, I'm working with him. We want to get another herd going on a north end. So yes, definitely extremely important. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Graham Greenlee. Travis, uh, where does the sweetgrass grow? Like, uh, where do you get it from? You know what? <clears throat> That's a woman's job. <laughs> no disrespect. Um, it grows in uh, kind of in marshy areas, and there are certain places where it grows more than others. You know, it's funny you talked to I was going to bring my sweetgrass. I was down in Crow Fair this past summer, and this guy was walking around the powwow arbor selling sweetgrass. His sweetgrass was about this long and about that fat. And he ain't going to tell me where he picked it. <laughs> but I paid 25 American dollars for one braid of that. So I got it at the office. I was going to bring it up, but I didn't. Um, the, in our culture, the Blackfoot, we use sweetgrass. Other tribes like Cree and that, they use both. There's some use sweetgrass and some use sage. There's two types of sage. There's women's sage and um, men's sage. We use the, the men's sage. And each one has a different purpose for sweats, for cleansing, what have you. But we predominantly use sweetgrass. And it grows well out in those areas. And the reason I said it's a woman's job because within the ceremonies, there are very specific protocols related to who does what. And we have to follow those. So technically, I'm not allowed to pick it. That's my wife and her friends can go pick it. There's certain things only certain people have a right to pick. You have to go through a ceremony to do it properly. So, unfortunately, it's kind of overpicked. You know, I was talking about young people are really interested in our culture. Well, now whole busloads go out there and they start pulling all the sweet grass. Well, that's not the proper way to do it, because we've noticed our our uh, our um, our sweet grass is uh, dwindling. So now we're telling them, hey, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Uh, that's that's a very important. We need that. So here's the proper way to pick it. So we're trying to educate our own people. They get a little too crazy sometimes, and they go out there and start pulling them. There's a proper way to pick them, and we don't sell them. You know, so unfortunately, some people go out there. They pick them, and like the guy, 
$25 American for a braid that big? I didn't mind paying because it was really unique. But here, we're not allowed to sell them. So um, the sweetgrass, I talked about culture. I talked about bundles. I talked about ceremony. I talked about protocol, all of this. All of that could disappear. But the sweetgrass will always be here. The earth will always be here. We can repatriate all that other stuff. But this and my connection to earth is through that sweet grass. That's why it's sacred. I'm Trevor Page. Um, my question deals with a sun dance, and I wonder if you could tell us about how significant that is to Blackfoot culture. What are the origins? Can non-Aboriginals go and attend the sun dance? And talk about why there is a flesh-cutting aspect to it. What does it mean? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, first of all, good question. I always like to educate people. What you just said, flesh-cutting, that's a piercing ceremony. The Blackfoots, the Ghana, once again, I can only speak for Ghana, we had that ceremony. And we call it a ugan. But that was back in the day. Um, the last person from our reserve was, his name was Heavyhead. And it happened down where, if you ever go down through a standoff there, there's the Hutterite colony, there's that open area. That's where we had our akukats. And that was the last time the bloods had a piercing ceremony. It's, it's our own way. And I don't know, I don't remember the year, but I can tell you that um, uh, the fort in Fort McLeod was, uh, there was still the RCMP detachment over there. So Fort McLeod was just a very, just, just a little community at the time. Anyways, they had visitors from England, some patriarchs, I don't know who they are. And a lady who had never seen it, they were there, and they saw that ceremony, and she fainted. And the, the, the people that were with, with that lady told our people not to do that anymore. So that was the last time that that was performed. And at that time, just like I mentioned, it was policy in the United States to shoot the buffalo to eliminate the Indian problem. Well, here in Canada, our prime minister also had laws put in place to do basically the same thing. That's where you always heard about the residential school system. So the residential school and government put in policy to basically take the Blackfoot out of us and become civilized, educated, fine, no problem, can do that. And it was against the law at a certain point to practice our ways. So that's why that was the last time that was done. After that, there was laws put into place that we couldn't even have akukas, and we couldn't have none of that. So they went underground. 
And I praise those people who went underground. Some of our people gave up. That's why our bundles are in museums and private collections, because they sold them. They gave up. Well, the government said it's, it's against the law. If I do this, I'm going to go to jail. I don't want to go to jail. The men were the providers at that time. So if you took the man out of the equation, you're putting their family in a really tough place. So can non-Aboriginals still attend the Sundance? Okay. The, the piercing Sundance that happens with the Crees and the Sioux Nations, they're all over Canada and the United States. There's seven separate groups on the blood reserve that practice that piercing ceremony. Okay. I don't, I don't attend, I don't know nothing about them, but I'm assuming anybody can go. Okay, but remember, that is not Blackfoot. It's not our way. We have our own way. So our what are way, the origins of the Sundance, and why is it has been embraced by the Blackfoot? Well, again, our, ours is not called a Sundance. Again, misinterpretation. That lodge, that ceremony is for the sun. When the sun rises, we get up. When the sun sets, we're done. We go in. We don't do things at night. All of our ceremonies are done during the sun. Okay? So that lodge was called the Sun Lodge because they had to translate it to our visitors at the time. What is it? Well, I don't know. Sun Lodge, I guess. They didn't know. So this became Sun Lodge and then turned into Sun Dance. And today, even our people call it Sun Dance, but really it's not Sun Dance. So I tell people, when you hear Sun Dance, you're talking about the piercing ceremony. When you hear Akukatsin, you're talking about Gana Akukatsin. So it's different. And the origin, like I said earlier, those bundles were created by warrior societies that existed long before your ancestors came into this part of the world. They, they're centuries and centuries old. That's the origin. And when those times changed, they took those and said, we're no longer going to war. We're going to use these for good. And they came together and they called themselves Kanakatsis. And those are the societies, and they still exist today. I'm a member of it. They still exist today. So okay. it's, a <clears throat> it's a big question there, though. <coughs> Excuse me. Colleen Quintel. Um, thank you for your presentation. Yeah. I've been quite fa fascinated with what you've said. I want to build on the last question and bring it back to ceremonies versus culture. And you talked about um, the sacredness of, of some of the uh, ceremonies, or, or the, um, I'm not sure what the right word would be used, but where they're very private. Yep. And how, how do I, as a non-First Nations uh, person, know um, how to walk with you, I guess is my question. Mm. Uh, just a little history. Um, I was in Saskatchewan for 30 years and very close with Poundmaker um, mm. Nation, and I knew the Tatusis. 
And um, I took classes out there that I had to get special permission for. And they had a word for me, but I can't mm. pronounce it. <laughs> and how do, I, how do I let the Blackfoot people know that we are allies or friends? Mm. And, and what are we welcome to? Where's the line mm. is what I'm asking, I guess. Um, at Akukatsen, where we have our Sundance, I keep saying Sundance, but it's Akukatsen. Um, there's no rule against who can attend. Um, when I showed you the picture, I'm going to throw it up there again. If I show you the picture of the, uh, the, the, the society, see that's Akukatsen, that thingy that you see in the middle. That's that's a ceremony all on its own. And all around is the camp. Okay? There's a east entrance, there's a west entrance, and then all the ceremonies happen in the middle. That's uh, probably another uh, there's uh, another teepee right over here. Um, this is this is kind of an older photograph. I think this one was taken up in uh, Sitsikai at their Sundance. Um, there's there's um, there's no rule that says you're not allowed. Um, and when when the society members, uh, this society, which is the Horn Society, and all the societies, they do their ceremonies inside the teepee. Okay. But when they dance out, that's okay, because everybody watches that. They, they all come to watch that. But you'll never know what happens inside, because nobody's allowed in there. That's privileged information. And again, it's like going to university. You pay the tuition. And our tuitions are pretty high. <laughs> that's privileged information for me. I paid for that knowledge, okay? So I'm not going to share it with you. But there are aspects and things that you could view as long as they're not recorded. So like I said earlier, um, I've, I've invited uh, a lot of uh, community members here in the city. They, they come out. Shannon Phillips has been out there a couple times and, you know, because it helps her understand a little more about were more than just what you see on the street. There are, there's a real culture there, and that's what you see. So it's important for you to see. But we're, we have to be careful that we don't overdo it, and then all of a sudden we got tourist buses, you know, because word gets out pretty fast, you know. So we're very careful. Um, I think um, dialogue like this is good, and then you know, down the road, you can approach somebody. It's always good to know somebody. And then that way you're, you're kind of, you, you have, you're, you're a guest at the camp, okay? That's the way I, that's the way I do it. Somebody asks me and say, yeah, well, come on on this particular day. Because there's no calendar. There's no program. Things just happen, you know. There's no set program. I can't even tell you when it's going to happen. It'll just happen, you know. 
last answers. Thank you so very much yeah. for being here and sharing with us knowledge that um, we, need, we need to know. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, another questioner talked about the, the parallel, the parallel cultures, the invaders, us, and the First Nations people, and how we can, what we can, I, I forget how he phrased it, but it seemed to me that what we agreed-oriented um, consumerism society can learn is how to, how to revere our planet and the place that we live. And I wonder if you could just talk a minute about the relationship to the Earth from First Nations perspective. Mm. Awesome. Ayo Napi, Ayo Napi Natusi, Ayo Kukumikisum, Ayo Tsakumitat, Ayo Pain. That's the beginning of a prayer. Translated, Ayo Sun, Ayo um, Moon, Earth, everything. Like that sweet grass I was saying. All of this can disappear. But as long as I can go pick sweet grass, and as long as I have some earth and clay to smudge on, my culture is still alive. Because the culture is up here. It's not in the store. It's not in the teepee. It's up here. What, what, what we need to do, and everybody, it's a, I belong to some climate... Uh, uh, we have a group on the blood reserve called the uh, KIPA, we're the Kanai Environmental Protection Association, and we have a summit every year where we invite speakers from around the world to speak on climate change. And climate is, um, is very, when you enter the society world like I just have, and when I get the teachings from the elders, when I learn about the bundles, everything is goes right back to the land, everything. And the land is sacred. And it's our job to protect it, to take care of it, to ensure that somebody mentioned the sweet grass. Well, we went over there and I told the school, hey, you guys, you're not doing a good job. You're, you're wasting that resource. We need that. You guys, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, you're going to teach them how to pick sweet grass, but you better be teaching them how to pray with it too because that's what that is for, nothing else. It's not a school activity. 100 students go out and destroy a whole crop of sweet grass and I never get to use it. So you have to be careful. You have to teach people how to take care of the environment. And today, it's an even bigger issue. I mean, I was watching the... CNN, my favorite channel now because of Big Brother down there, the crazy guy. <laughs> that, that hurricane. I've never, ever, ever seen or heard of, and we did a little bit of reading, a little research, where that hurricane sat there for, what, 36 hours? Didn't move. That's unheard of. And we always say, Abstatuki, creator sends messages warning you 
And my message to Donald Trump was, he's heading your way. <laughs> Better be careful. <laughs> so that was unheard of, to see that huge, huge hurricane. What is it? Five, record of five? Sat there for 36 hours. Didn't move. Something's going on. And about... 10, 15 years ago, we are at a youth conference in Edmonton, and Susan Gukard was one of our speakers. She's, her grandmother's from way, way up north, and even then we are talking about climate change. And someone asked her the question, what is it like up north? And she goes to visit her grandmother. Her grandmother told her that that time that she's seeing birds that have never migrated to that part of the world, that part of Canada before. But there they were. So it's changing everything, okay? So as a, our culture, we are dependent on the land. Everything, I used to do a program called Living Off the Land. Everything we do is literally, including yourselves, everything is taken from the land. And we need to be able to manage that. So that's a part of the message that we give to our young people too. Good. Any last comment or summary you'd like to make? Have you said it all? Well, I think the climate is a, is a good place to end. Um, and working together, not just in community, but literally the world. Again, last night on CNN, they had all these guys talking about climate. And that was kind of their message, was we need to put aside our uh, differences and just come together. Because at the end of the day, the earth is our home, and without it, I don't know about you guys, but I got nowhere else to go. So we're all in this together. And I think if we bring it closer to home, we are all citizens of the city of Lethbridge. We're all proud Albertans, Southern Albertans. We're all proud Canadians. I love this part of the world. I share it, I brag about it. We all live here, same thing. I'm not going anywhere. I don't think you're going anywhere. So if we can't teach, if we can't teach our community, then let's at least start with the young people. Like I said, I brought my kids to the school system in the city of Lethbridge. This was their first time experiencing uh, school where there's all different cultures there. So that's very important to me. We need them to learn to get along. Because in the future, used to, I used to hear it all the time, you're the future, you're the future, yeah, whatever. Well, it's true, I, here I am. <laughs> you know, exactly what that old guy said, here I am. We're, we are the role models now, we are the guys doing the work. So that's my message to all of you. Be proud of, uh, of where we live, be proud of what we have. We have issues, but we're not unique there. We have those same issues all over the place. We're not unique there. But if we work together, I'm pretty sure we can get some stuff done. Thank you very much.